Hey there traders, looking to take the guesswork out of trading and only 10 minutes a day? Then you need to head on over to AIStockTradingSystem.com right now, where you can get our five-step system to take the guesswork out of trading in only 10 minutes per day. And the only place to get that is at AIStockTradingSystem.com. That's AIStockTradingSystem.com. You trade stocks and options, right? Or at least you want to. Don't skip this ad, but pay attention. You're gonna wanna hear this. Do you ever feel like you just don't know which stock to pick? There's so many of them out there. Or maybe you even feel like the market is working against you and that every time you put on a trade, it just seems to go wrong. You're losing, you're sweating, you're always staring at your phone wondering why does this keep happening? My name's Christopher Ewell and I was awarded one of the top 100 people in finance and I'm also the host of the How to Trade Stocks and Options podcast. And I found this awesome service called FinClub.ai that I wanna share with you today. FinClub.ai uses artificial intelligence to deliver you the very best stock picks that I have ever seen. And with these stock picks, you're gonna be trading with the algos out there instead of against them. This is the kind of tech that the big Wall Street banks use whenever they're placing trades. They really do take the guesswork out of trading and their win rates on any given day are between 85 and 95%. It is absolutely unreal and just a little scary just how well this artificial intelligence works. So click here to learn more and use the code 10MINUTE, that's 10-M-I-N-U-T-E, and you'll get two weeks of free stock picks delivered to you every single day. And as a bonus offer, you're gonna get your first month half off, and that comes after your two-week free trial. So now you've got six weeks to see just how great the stock picks are at finclub.ai, where they take the guesswork out of trading. Have you ever wanted to find out some of the world's most powerful stock market rules? Well, today on the How to Trade Stocks and Options podcast, we have The Trading Habits, written by Steve Burns. This is the How to Trade Stocks and Options podcast, brought to you by 10MinuteStockTrader.com, where we give you the tools, tips, and tricks to help you trade faster and trade smarter. And here's your host, voted one of the top 100 people in finance by Redwood Media Group, founder and head trader of 10MinuteStockTrader.com, Christopher Ewell. Hey there, 10 Minute Traders, and welcome back to the How to Trade Stocks and Options podcast. Today, we have an incredible guest, one of my favorite people to have on the show, and I'm so gracious, grateful that he and I have been able to connect, Steve Burns, the legend himself who's been trading for over two decades now, and uh, he wrote this book that we're going to have on today discussing. It's called Trading Habits, 39 of the World's Most Powerful Stock Market Rules. Steve, hey, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Oh, thanks for having me once again, Chris. It's great to be here. Oh, I, I'm I'm thrilled. Uh, this is this was a good book. I I, uh, I don't just get them and set them aside and, and call you the day of. I actually read these, and so this was. I got a lot of highlights in this one. Let me tell you. Um, we'll do our best to try and keep this under control today, people. But if I don't actually read the entire book to you, then this will be a success. <laughs> Cause yeah, this is great, and and uh, Steve was just telling me that it's one of his his best sellers. Yeah, that has been one of the more popular uh, books at one time at its peak. I, Amazon actually put it in Prime Reading and promoted it, and and for uh, I think it was about an hour one day, I actually had more sales and page reads above Ray Dalio's book, The Principles, for an hour. So that was the most successful thing I had as an author of trading books. And for one moment, I was just a little. 
a speck above one of the greatest money managers to ever live as an author. So that was, that was a peak experience. No, and that's gone very quickly, though. That's incredible. Uh, you know, and, and you think about, you know, this is this is what Steve pours. He pours his heart and soul into these books. He said it before, but he he writes these books. Because it's the book that he would have wanted someone to write for him when he was learning to trade or or in his process of uh, of growing as a trader. And yeah, that's incredible. I mean, obviously, this is a great book if it's if it's outselling Ray Dalio. Let me tell you that. Well, that was just for one moment in time, just <laughs> one brief, brief moment. But it was one cool. glorious moment. <laughs> So everything we're going to cover today will be in this book, and I'm going to link a description below for you to get your own copy of Trading Habits, 39 of the World's Most Powerful Stock Market Rules. So let's get right into it. Um, I mean, we're talking on like the first couple pages here. Uh, Steve was talking about how after years of study and practice, their mind and bodies react without hesitation, regardless of pressure or uncertainty. And he's referring to the power of habits here. Uh, to Steve, uh, let's let's talk a little bit more about the power of habits. What? Uh, how do you use habits in what you do on a daily basis? Yeah, I think it's a process of developing strength. Things that make you profitable are things you have to get into a habit of doing. You know, the habit of always cutting a loss short instead of being tempted to let a loser run. You know, always being the habit of being very open-minded to your winning trades and see how far they will go before they reverse. You know, things that you you, you quit trying to make yourself do it or reading your trading plan and, and trying to do things or trying to come up with things out of thin air. What should I do this morning? You already know what you need to do. You have your principles and process and rules in place, and you automatically follow them. I think that's a totally different ball game than you trying to reinvent the wheel every morning when you start trading. You know, that makes a lot of sense to me. And I mean, you think of habits in in the way of like you put your left shoe on before your right shoe. You put your toothpaste on a toothbrush and you you brush your teeth the same way every single day. Uh, you, you habits are repetitive actions that you do basically subconsciously, right? I mean, if you're if you're going up the stairs, maybe you always go up on the right hand side. And when you deviate from that, when you uh, you know, uh, cross your legs the other way, or if you put your fingers together and it's, it's, uh, your thumbs on top on the left-hand side, and then you decide to switch it. When you break your habits, it actually feels uncomfortable. And that's what Steve really tries to get across here is you may not have these habits, but these are habits that are very useful. Some of the most powerful stock market rules. And if you can make them habits, if you can make them a part of who you are, a part of what you do, it's going to be uncomfortable to do things the wrong way, the less profitable way, the harder way. So this is really cool. I, I'm excited about uh, going through this with you today, Steve. It's an interesting, it's a new angle to look at it. Yeah, I mean that's the way I took at it. it took it right. I mean, I, I'm just thinking, you know, um, when I when I go to the gym, right? I'm always uh, working out in a certain way. I, I have my routine, I have my my patterns, and I have my habits that I do there. Now apply the same routines, patterns, and habits to your trading. It becomes second nature. And as Steve just mentioned here, uh, you your body, your mind and body react without hesitation, regardless of the pressure or uncertainty. Yeah, I think that's I think that's really what the the goal of this book should be for the the readers out there is is to to commit these to to who you are and to who you trade or, or to how you trade because in any moment in time you can decide to go against your habits and then hey you're looking at 
you're looking at a screen that you don't want to be looking at. I, I mean, I've, I've been really guilty of that for sure. I think like Trader Dante, a, a quote from him on Twitter where he says, you know, you become your own edge. You know, once you have the self-discipline, self-control to have created a profitable trading system and a profitable process, and then your ability just to execute, execute that, you know, without a lot of thinking and pondering, you just know what to do and you do it. You become your own edge in the markets. Mm-hmm. That's well said. I actually just did a podcast on this the other day, and I called this the how to be a better trader. And it was inspired by this next section that I had highlighted here. Steve says, always focus on being better today than you were yesterday. Another way to gain advantage over your opponents is to trade with discipline. Most traders are trading based on their own predictions, opinions, and emotions. These are the worst kind of trading signals. Instead, develop trading rules that will guide you. Replace your opinions with trade signals and your ego with position sizing and your emotions with the trading plan. I tell you what, that is prophetic right there. That That's one of the best lines I've read in any book, regardless of who wrote it or what kind of book or whatever. I love this so much, Steve. I mean this. Replace your opinions with trade, uh, replace your opinions with trade signals, your ego with position sizing and your emotions with the trading plan. That's gold right there. I can see how this outsold Ray Dalio. Yeah, that's that really quantifies, I mean, the battle that everyone, when they first go into the market and the emotions and the turmoil and the uncertainty and trying to figure it all out and just the ocean of information. And you have to filter all that information into something that works for you, that meets your goals and your time frame for what you're trying to accomplish. And uh, I think that is, you know, the holy grail people are looking for is really the same process that anybody uses in any business to be successful. I agree. Absolutely. And when you are a trader, you've got to consider this your business, right? I mean, I'm not, you'd said this once before on the program and I really liked it. I asked you which you prefer a simple moving average or exponential moving average. And you said, I don't care. I prefer the one that makes money. And that's the way you got to be looking at these things, right? Leave your emotions at the door, leave your opinions at the door. Which one of these is going to help you and help your business at the end of the day? Yeah, when you go do a back test, you let the back test tell you, you know, you might want to uh, trade a certain way and you go say, huh, let me see if this works in the past. And you go back and you back test it and uh, the volatility made it not work. Or, uh, uh, you know, you might love Microsoft and think Microsoft, owning Microsoft right now is the holy grail because uh, because it's hitting all time highs. But you go back and back test it. It was pretty much dead money for the vast majority after its 2000 peak for a very long time before it started trending again. It was a. Uh, Best thing to own in the 90s, one of the best one of the best growing stocks in history in the 90s, but then sort of went flat for a long period of time. So you have to take all that into account. That's not what your opinion is. Yeah, I, that makes total sense. In fact, uh, n- the number two rule in this book is your trading system must be built on quantifiable facts, not opinions. And Steve elaborates a little bit. He says trading without quantifiable signals means you're trading randomly. That makes sense. Honestly, I mean, let's just say if I don't have a signal, am I going to buy oil today or I'm going to sell it? Let me throw a dart. That's <laughs> that's that's my signal today. Which side does it land on? Uh, yeah, that 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 to me leads. That's one of the biggest things that I've learned from working with Steve is your trading system must be built on quantifiable facts, not opinions. I had traded based on uh, implied volatility rank exclusively for years. I mean, literally, like, I don't care if it's going up or if it's going down. If the implied volatility rank meets what I want it to be, 
I'm going to trade it and I'm going to trade both sides of it. Let me tell you, I'm going to make an iron condor and I don't care if I'm boxing in the side of the trend. It's, it's going to be fine. And that's really where I learned the most expensive lessons. And there were a lot of times where I, just like a lot of traders out there, was sitting there like, what am I doing wrong? I feel like I'm always losing. I mean, I've got this system that I know works, but it's not working. <laughs> yeah, and a lot of and, and there are different market environments too. That's a, you know, another thing is really understanding the uh, the edge and the profitability. And if your system is mainly profitable in uptrends, then you're going to be profitable in uptrends, but you may get chopped up in a sideways market. But over the long term, you have a big bull market and it'll make up for all the uh, sideways action. Or if you have a diversified watch list, you'll have something trending at all times that you can trade and really thinking through the process because there is no holy grails. What's really interesting, like you talked about with the iron condors, is uh, you know some people thought that shorting put options was the holy grail in the early 80s. And people mm -hmm. were making livings off of doing nothing but selling short put options over with no hedge, you know, just one, just, uh, mm -hmm. you know, cash secured, uh, put options on us on the SP 500. And then 1987, uh, and one day black Mondays blew everybody up. They yep. made a living off that for years and thought they had the Holy grail. So when you, when you do have a system, you got to go back and look at the worst moments. Like if you thought selling call options, I know people that thought selling call options on bank stocks were the Holy grail that had actually, you know, took the cost basis out of some bank stocks you know, in the uh, in the 80s and 90s, and then in 2008, a lot of those people just blew up. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. I mean, actually, some, st some stocks that they had actually went to zero. Yeah. Like Mutual and uh, and uh, uh, Bear Stearns, several of them that just went down. Like you have to also look at the risk events throughout whatever you're doing. What could happen in the worst case scenario to see if your risk management's in place? You know that that that's something that um, you know I've learned. Essentially, especially is, is the risk mitigation. Um, I had always been told, hey, trade small, right? But mm -hmm. then, then you know, what is that? What is trade small? And mm -hmm. Steve talks about it's 1% of your capital, right? He's not saying you only need to risk 1% of your capital, but the risk you take needs to be limited to 1%. I think it may have been here, maybe a different book of Steve's, but he was saying that uh, if he's going to enter a trade, he may do 10% of his portfolio in the trade. But the limit of that drawdown will be 1%, period, uh, which I, I thought was actually pretty genius. You know, you can kind of lever up, um, lever up, and if it works for you, that leverage is great. But if it doesn't work for you, very quickly cut the loss, and that way you don't have any issues. Yeah, people don't understand the risk of ruin is really just back-to-back -back large percentage losses and the working against you in capital. You lose 10%, you got to make 11% to get back to even. You lose 20% of your total capital, you got to get 25% return to get back to even. You go down to 50% drawdown, you got to get 100%. And at that point, you're basically ruined because, you know, if you if you got to do a 50% drawdown, the odds of you being able to double your money is just showing you're putting on too much risk. And so many people continually confuse the 1% uh, risk rule with – the uh, position sizing. I'm not saying 1% position sizing. I'm saying 1% loss if you're wrong. So a 10% position size that goes against you 10% would be 1% total trading capital loss. It's like if you can buy the SP500 accurately, you know, the SPY, and you're only risking a 1% move in the SPY itself, you could put all your money in the SPY, you know, if you're just going to risk and you're going to stop out at 1% against mm -hmm. you. So, but so many people, it, it, I mean, that really disturbs me. People think they know everything and they don't even comprehend that I'm saying the risk of loss of your total trading capital, nothing to do with really position sizing. That's based on volatility. Yeah. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. 
So number five in the trading habits is start with a weekly price chart and establish the long-term trend, then work down through the daily and hourly charts to trade in the direction of that trend. The odds are better if you're trading in the direction of the long-term trend. So when I read this, I, I'll, I'll be honest, I've never looked at a weekly chart, not once, until I read this. And I was like, maybe Steve's on to something here. So Steve, why, why would you start with a weekly chart? I mean, are you planning... I, I had heard someone say once before, you know, you want to look at a chart based on the time frame you're trading. If you're trying to get in and out in just a few minutes, maybe a one minute or five minute chart. If you're looking to get out in just a few, well, I shouldn't say in a few weeks, maybe looking at the weekly chart. Is that is that how that should be interpreted? Yeah, I think you have to look at the, the trend of the market itself. I mean, you can even go as far as say, look at the history of the U.S. stock market. You can go back to that, say the history of the U.S. stock market. When it comes to stock indexes, they, they go up and double and triple quadruple over long periods of time because of the survivor bias of the winners and the indexes. So, you know, the stock market itself has made new highs every so many years for the history of the U.S. stock market. So you can say that. So, you know, the bull bias, you have an edge by simply being bullish in the stock market itself. Then you can go and say, you know, are we currently in the monthly chart? Are we currently in a bull market? Are we in a bear market? Are we in the middle of it? So you can know what side has the edge currently. 2008. Uh, you know, you start looking over right now we're in a bear market. So, you know, the long position may not have the edge. Then you can go to the weekly charts, the daily charts. You know, if you're even a day trader, if the market's in an uptrend, you're going to be better off buying a dip during the day. Hey, do you trade options like I do? Then you don't want to skip this. You want to pay attention. I just found the very best options trading platform out there, and I want to tell you all about them. I bet you feel like you're never satisfied with your current options broker, right? Anytime you want to get help, anytime you call them, anytime you email them, you never actually get to talk to a human. And you need to talk to somebody because their platform is so difficult to use. I mean, you've got to go through all these different screens just to place a single trade. And then on top of that, their commissions are eating you alive. You can't even make money because the commissions cost more than your profits. My name is Christopher Ewell, and I was awarded one of the top 100 people in finance, and I'm also the host of the How to Trade Stocks and Options podcast. And Tastyworks is the platform that I use and I recommend. Yeah, I know they got a funny name, but you're going to want to learn more about this platform. It was built by options traders for options traders. So if you're an options trader, you definitely want to check out Tastyworks. It was built on the back of high frequency trading technology. So you're going to be getting close to the best fills possible. And on top of that, their commission structure, it's almost unbeatable. It's only $1 per leg to open a trade and $0 per leg to close a trade. So click the link to check out Tastyworks today and use the code 10MINUTE, that's 10MINUTE, to get over $150 in free 10 Minute Trader exclusive bonuses just for signing up for a Tastyworks account. It really doesn't get easier than that. You're going to get the best platform that I've ever used, and you're going to get free bonuses from 10MinuteStockTrader.com. So make sure you check out Tastyworks and use the code 10MINUTE, and you'll be just as blown away as I was by Tastyworks and their options trading platform built by traders for traders. On rule six, Steve talks about the more times a support or resistance level is tested, the greater the odds it will be broken. Old resistance can become new support, and the old support may become new resistance. So this, this one in particular stuck out to me because where I had been taught to trade was that there is no support, there is no resistance. And so when I read this, I was like, huh, I know Steve's a smart guy. I know he's been doing this for a while. Could you tell me a little bit more about support, support and resistance? What, what does support and resistance mean to you? Because I've always heard it 
described as like drawing imaginary lines on a chart. <laughs> it's not really anything there to to quantify that. Yeah, you can uh, in a trend. It's true. You know, there are in in long term uptrends. There are no there is no resistance, and in long term downtrends, there is no support. You know that is true. But there is absolutely from uh, you go through charts historically that are range bound. You'll see zones of support where there are buyers. You know they buy the dip. I think right now in SLV, there's a I think it's a fourteen dollar support level that's come in on three key tests over the last several months. And you can see where there are, a support is an, is an area where there are buyers located. People will step in and buy at that price, and there are no more sellers underneath that price. So it holds the bid, and then it moves back up. Uh, and it could be a price level. It could be a moving average uh, sideways, like a 200-day, like uh, the Russell 2000 uh, ETF IW. The IWM is right now bouncing off around the 200-day moving average over multiple times, uh, and it's it's uh, – it's horizontal. There could be ascending. The 10-day EMA could be an ascending uh, support like we saw during the V bottom reversal recently where price does not close under a 10-day EMA for months on end. So mm -hmm. you know, from what I've seen, that they do exist. And in uptrends, they could be they could be ascending trend lines. They could be ascending moving averages. Uh, in downtrends, they could be uh, resistance could be a descending uh, trend line or a descending uh, moving average. So it's just a location people do. And you know they don't think people have made decisions thinking I'm going to buy at this price or I'm going to take profits at this price. Uh, you know, uh, dip buy signals and profit targets on the upside create uh, resistance and support. So that's something I've seen repeatedly. But, you know, it is true in a trend. In a trend, you know, there is no long-term support or resistance against the, the side of the trend. So that's that's some thoughts that I've, I have and I have seen over and over again. Really, support and resistance are where buyers and sellers are located and ready to uh, take action. Mm -hmm. That makes me, makes me think of, like, algorithms, right? Like, let's say if the al algorithm is only going to buy when the stock hits $50, um, and then every time it hits $50, it, it goes back up from there uh I, I mean that's my first thought because obviously a lot of the time when you and i are trading we're not actually trading between you and i anymore we're trading more uh against the computers i, I don't know what the, the numbers are but i've heard it's staggering it's like 95 plus percent of transactions are between individual and computer or computer to computer uh, so that that's my first thought when I hear something like a support, support or resistance where it's just built in the code at $50 buy at $73 sell. Um, it's, it's interesting you about you know, that? outside of machine learning or AI, you know, algorithms are designed by humans. So they have mm -hmm. to create the algorithm that trades, you know, so unless it's doing machine learning or it's, you know, doing AI and adjusting and, and making changes to the market, that's where we're getting to now. They're all designed by humans. Mm hmm. So a lot of the characteristics yeah. are built in, and a lot of it is, is is the scalping and the trading of trends and momentum. I mean, they're all programmed. So it's it's actually, you know, when you have numbers moving, you know, there's not a lot of difference between somebody making an algo versus a human being except for speed. Right. Absolutely. Um, the the idea that the algorithms run the day, uh, I feel, is becoming more and more prevalent. And I think that's where a lot of people, people traders, should realize that, um, I mean, you're not smart enough to beat the computer. Just let's be clear about that. But you can always play into the computer's game. And that was one of the things that I really took away 
uh, whenever we were talking about moving averages before, moving average signals that beat buy and hold, was that there there are trends and you know there's a lot that goes into those trends. It's a lot of people who are funding their 401ks. It's a lot of new market participants, uh, you know, following the the trend of the market going up overall. Uh, but yeah, there's 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 always that involved too. So well, the best way to beat high frequency traders is to be a low frequency trader. Oh yeah. If I don't if I don't trade inside of the daily, if I don't trade intraday, I'm not even participating in the uh, the fastest uh, high frequency traders intraday. If I wait and make my decision at the end of the day. Yeah, and that's something I've started doing too. Uh, based on on our talking, uh, it it. Uh, there are times where I look for an entry signal maybe in the first hour to hour and a half of the day, and then I kind of shut it down for a while, and then I'll start looking at it around an hour and a half uh, until closing, because um, Steve has mentioned many times in his books that he looks at end-of-day signals to determine if it's uh, the time to get in or out, and I think I saw you say somewhere that uh, you take profits in the morning and, and enter positions in the afternoon. Is that, is that right? Over the long term, I've done that. I've gotten more in the last few years into just absolute end of day signaling for the most oh. part, and just keeping it keeping it that. Which uh, recently, you know, there've been some opportunities to take profits in the morning that I have not taken. So, uh, but the longer I trade, the the, the less I trade. It's the mm. more I'm just looking at accumulation distribution cycles in the market, and that's what you know. Really, we're we're. That's why the stock market of the long term has gone up as a whole is, you know, stock market itself is under accumulation over the long term. Right. I mean, even no matter what algos are doing, either in any given day on that day, intraday time frame, the market's generally either being accumulated or distributed through that day. Mm -hmm. You know, there's volatility will change that where you'll go up and make several round trips sometimes. But uh, if you look at charts as uh, accumulation distribution cycles, it'll help making uh, ranges and trends become more clear. Hey, a little off top topic, and and you uh, you prompted me to think about this. I have been having trouble getting filled lately. Uh, I don't know if it's like the overall volume is down. I mean, you could look at a, at a chart and get a, a sense of the volume, but I feel that it's getting harder and harder to to fill, and I'm having to give up more and more on the uh, the bid and ask in order to make uh, that happen. Are you options, having that option op options trading? Yeah. Yeah. Options, uh, yeah, options. You have to be, you know, for me, options. I'm always really careful. I used to have trouble with that on the out of the money whenever I was having a hedge in place on a, on spreads. Mm -hmm. I'd have trouble with that a lot in the past. But so I try to really stick with like the highest volume, like Spy or Apple back in the day, and uh, more high volume options. I, I used to. I haven't done as much option trading lately. But when I mm -hmm. do, I do the front month or the weekly and the closest uh, to the money when I trade yeah. options. So. I've done a lot of option trading in recent years either, but uh, but when I did, I would have trouble the farther out I got in time and the farther out I got towards the current strike price. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I just I don't know what's been going on lately. I mean, I'm having to give up more and more pennies in order to make that happen. So yeah, the only spread, just, the only spread I had trouble it. with recently was the microcap IWC ETF. I had I had some trouble in that spread because it's a lower volume. I think it's only uh -huh. between twenty hundred thousand shares a day. But I usually trade oh, only wow. the highest volume markets because I really am strongly of the belief that uh, you know liquidity is the is the most important fundamental. Without a doubt, if you don't hey, have liquidity, just, you'll get killed. Yeah, and you can have a losing trade or, or yeah. a, a winning trade that just immediately becomes a loser because you yep. can't get out at the winning price. Yep. Yeah, I've I've had that a few times with options, mm -hmm. especially when something went deeply in the money or deep. That's why I've had winning trades that went deep in the money and become illiquid. Oh yeah, huh? 
more expensive in the spread than it is in the commissions. Uh huh. Yeah, it's crazy. Okay, so totally off topic, but I thought I'd ask you about it. Sorry. <laughs> so uh, we're on uh, we're on rule number nine here, and this is one I actually really wanted to to get your opinion on, especially um, talking about the, the the ways that you trade. So number nine is the larger the market gaps, the greater the odds of continuation and a trend, and that's a a quote from Linda Rashke. And uh, in here, uh, you went on to elaborate and say. If gaps don't fill in the first hour of trading, the odds are that they aren't going to fill and price will continue in the direction of that gap for the re- remainder of the day. Um, I find that really interesting. Now, would you would you feel that that's the same way with earnings or without earnings or just all around? Yeah, all around. It ten- and, and Linda really saw that. I think she actually day trades a lot. You know, once you gap and you give it an hour and see if there's the distribution comes in or the reverse happens. And generally, if there's nobody there to reverse that in an hour, uh, generally that's the direction for the rest of the day. Like how much rewards left in that is uh, in question. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, that usually shows you where the buyers and sellers are located. Buyers and sellers are always equal. It's just what price they're willing to trade on the changes. So I think that's a big tell, you know, if you have that gap, because that means there were nobody making trades within the gap, whichever direction it goes. Hmm. Interesting. Okay, so nobody was making trades in the gap. Now, I've also heard some somebody say that all gaps get filled. What's your take on that? Yeah, that is usually the truth, but when is always the question. Uh, yeah, for sure. Months, it can go months, days, right? weeks, months, years. Uh, but yeah, almost everything, even a, a monster stock, a company that just explodes at some time will go back. Like JCPenney's did eventually fill all its gaps and Sears also eventually <laughs> filled all its gaps. So I believe in the longest time frame, all gaps are filled. But uh, really the important thing is what trend is going on currently. Mm-hmm. So we're going to go on to rule number 10. And this actually leads back to what you and I were talking about earlier. Uh, the last hour often tells the truth about how strong a trend truly is. Smart money shows their hand in the last hour, continuing to mark positions in their favor. As long as a market is having consecutive strong closes, look for an uptrend to continue. The uptrend is most likely to end when there is a morning rally first, followed by a week close. So when I read that, you want to see big green candles. But if you start seeing red candles where the the close is lower than Mm -hmm. the the open, that's, that's a sign it's going to reverse. That's a sign of, dist- of distribution. That you, I think William J. O'Neill, one of our mo- most thorough uh, guys that studied the stock market ever, you know, William J. O'Neill saw the trends and all the bull markets and bear markets he looked at as they generally, you know, his actual chart study showed him that bear markets generally start high and then end low because people distribute into the strengths during a downtrend. And in bull markets, they usually they can start down and finish higher on the day because people find opportunities accumulate. So that's what he's seen with. Um, with uh, the markets, and I think it was Linda Roski. I think she's the one that started that whole thing, talking about the end of the day where it closes. You know, professionals close the market is a key thing where mutual funds will go and accumulate. They have to accumulate during the the highest volume times, and that's usually in the morning or in the uh, evening. So they mm-hmm. they really show in their hands when they're accumulating positions for mutual funds. Which of course the the professionally managed mutual funds are getting less and less as everyone goes into indexes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And speaking of indexes, uh, we're above the 200-day now, even in the IWM, um, and that's rule 11. Above the 200-day is where the bulls create uptrends. Bad things happen below the 200-day. <laughs> Man, I tell you what, 
if if the audience doesn't take any single thing away, it's that. And I was talking to Steve earlier. I love to watch YouTube people making money, scheming things. You know, what, what's what's the latest scheme of the day? And I've been following one guy, and he talks about dividend stocks. And I, he's got great advice out there in that way, uh, talking about, you know, this is a great stock because he's very fundamental, which I, neither you or I are. But he's very fundamental. He's like, I believe in waste management because people always have garbage and it's only going to go up and they're expanding into other places and they have garbage too. I'm like, okay, I can see your basis there. And he's like, and remember, there's always going to be times when there's going to be uptrends and downtrends. And whenever it's a downtrend, you've just got to hold on to it and you know that it's eventually going to come back. And I'm looking at him like, what did he just say? I mean, I get where he's going with the fundamental stuff, but he's basically saying, I don't care what price this is. I'm going to hold it all the way to the ground. And... Yeah, I, I mean, if if not financial advice, if you are going to do anything, just have one line on your chart that says if it's above 200, okay, things go up, things go down. If it's above below 200, I ain't hanging out here anymore. <laughs> I'm finding the exit door as fast as I can. Yeah, and it, and it serves two purposes: a 200-day, and actually, you know, not just uh, you know I talk about it. Uh, Paul Tudor Jones. You know, the one of the greatest, probably the greatest money manager in history and the best trading results ever. I don't think he's had a losing year in, uh, what, 30 years, I think, if I'm correct. Uh, he, um, what Tony Robbins said during the interview, but uh, he said, you know, one thing he does is get out on the 200 day because things can go to zero and anything can happen. But, you know, the, the 200 day moving average serves two purposes. Number one, risk management. You know, when you do have the fourth quarter meltdowns like we had last year, you're not holding all the way down into that pit of uh, mm-hmm. despair. So it keeps you out of that, you know, and sometimes those corrections can turn into bear markets and individual stocks can go to zero. I mean, you get you out of Bear Stearns, get you out of Enron, you know, keep your it's a risk management tool as a moving average. Also, if you've had a long term bear market or 2008 meltdown or our Internet bubble pop or whatever, it tells you when you can finally safely get back in. It's an actual trend signal to say, hey, the stock market, it has done going down and it could start going up again. So. I think a 200-day moving average is both a, both a risk management tool and a trend indicator that it's safe to get back in the water. Yeah, and that was one of the biggest – I mean, if you haven't already uh, gone and checked out Steve's book, 50 Moving Averages That Beat Buy and Hold, you, you need to, like now. I'm going to put a link in the description below. Uh, that, just above the 200, was one of the best-performing signals in the entire book, as maybe the Paul Tudor Jones figured out a long time ago. But, uh, I mean, the simplest trading method, which was the SPY end of month above or below 200 moving averages, was one of the best, if not the best, return overall in the entire book. Steve, I'm sorry, I just gave away the book. <laughs> if you people haven't bought it yet, that's that's the climax of the book, in my opinion. <laughs> But yeah. I tell you what, the, the 200 days is, is so important, and it really has become a part of my trading plan. If it's above the 200-day, I'm looking for a long trade. If it's below the 200-day, I'm not looking for a long trade mm-hmm. anymore. In fact, I may be looking for a, a shorter trade. So what's your what's your take on that? Yeah, it's a great filter in itself because all we're really trying to do in, in trading, whatever time frame, whatever markets, is just have big winners and small losers. And you got to have some kind of filter. And that is the best filter 
for somebody who, even if it's you're just a part-time person and you you know you just want to you know manage your 401k or IRA, you know just you know getting out when the 200 days lost and it's still underneath on the end of the month basis, that just that gets you out of of, of the primary primary uh, disasters of the bear markets, the 2008 meltdowns, the internet bubble popping, the corrections, you're just not in it. And then when mm-hmm. and when it's over and it goes back above, then you can go back in it. I mean, and you're not even dealing with the the uh, daily action and the in, intra-month noise. You're just simply looking into the, the month, going, "Hey, does it favor me being in or out?" And uh, yeah, I was shocked too. And that one, I, I was really shocked when that uh, back test came back, and I was like, "You got to be kidding me!" I went back and looked through historically how accurate that was. I think it recently had a whipsaw uh, recently with some, some of those quick moves. Uh, I think it was last year. But outside of that, it was uh, about as close as you get to a good timing tool. You know, not a prediction or an opinion, just saying, hey, time to get out. Oh, time to get back in. Yeah, and it's so simple as well. Just one line, right? If it's above, be in. And if you are the dividend investor, be in, take in those dividends, get your capital appreciation at that point, and you're good to go. That was like I say, I like to watch lots of videos on YouTube, learning from different people, not necessarily criticizing, but like to get opinions from different people. And while this guy had a lot of great stuff he was putting out, that was one thing where I was like, you need to open your eyes just a little bit more, guy. You're close, but just just look at that and you'll be good to go. Yeah, the, the 2000 internet.com meltdown and the 2008 financial meltdown all the way into March 2009 really – uh, could it should have changed some people's mind about buy and hold. Even Warren Buffett does have exit strategies, and his uh, mm-hmm. hold strategy is lifetime. Uh, you know, really, <laughs> so I mean, at one point, buy and hold investors, uh, what was it, 2009? I think it was 2009. At one point, they had given back all their gains since 1997. Whoa. At one point in the bottom of the 2008-2009. I'll never forget that thinking. I could not. I mean, you know, people think I'm crazy for actively trading the stock market. I could not hold my entire lifetime's uh, – accumulated capital and watch it evaporate by 50 percent and get back all the gains i'd ever made since 1997 yeah excluding excluding uh dividends that that would be something i can't do and the way the math works is that it has to go through the 200 moving average for things to really start falling apart it's not an opinion it's not a good to know it cannot (laughs) stay above the 200 and be in a bear market it just doesn't work like that yeah, the math is just math. It's, you're yeah. exactly right. It's a signal based on math, and you know, uh, yeah, you're exactly right. Now, one number twenty-one. I'm skipping ahead. I don't want to give away the entire book because I really want you guys to go and check this out. I'm skipping ahead to rule number twenty-one, and I've said this before, but when there's nothing to do, do nothing. Now, Richard Weissman's quoted uh, here in the book, but really, Steve meant me. But cash is a position. When there's nothing to do, don't do anything. Don't go out there. If you don't have anything that meets your signals, meets your criteria, meets whatever you got to help give you a plan, if it doesn't have anything that meets that, don't force it. Because then you're losing money, then you're losing sleep, and then you're like, why did I even do this? So, yeah, what's your take on that? When there's nothing to do, do nothing. It's sort of like the the Hippocratic Oath, you know, first of all, do no harm. No, people yeah. p- people think activity. I mean, I think so many people get into trading, they think they're going to sit at their computer for seven mm-hmm. and a half, eight hours a day, and they got to be doing things and trading and going back and forth and doing things all day because, you know, in jobs, you have to work and you get paid for the work you do, and that's how the reward works. But in trading, 
the reward works by getting and staying on the right side of trends in your time frame, and that doesn't require activity except for clicking a button. So <laughs> the best traders of all time are the over the least active. Uh, it's Coda, Nicholas Darvis, uh, Market Wizard Tom Basso. You know, they they primarily just focus on uh, staying long in bull markets. Uh, Jesse Livermore. Uh, staying long in bull markets and uh, going to cash or having hedges on in uh, bear markets for the stock market primarily. They're not out trying to do anything. I mean, my, all my life-changing money that I ever made in the stock market was made by holding into beautiful trends and looking every day going, wow, that's great. It's still going up. You know, next day, oh, good. It still keep going up, you know, and keep and uh, seeing if my signals were hit. That's where the money was made, not sitting in front of 17 screens and yeah. scalping every tick, which, you know, if people can do it, make money, which there are some that do, good for them. You know, that's just not my thing. And if you're going to trade eight, nine, ten hours a day actively, you have to consider what the labor cost of that is for you giving up your time and life that way. Right. That you get paid if you work, what is that, 40, uh, two, couple thousand hours a year. That, that uh -huh. changes your return dynamics when you got to consider you got to pay yourself an hourly time wage for doing all that absolutely um in fact i i think you had said that on the very first time you and i uh had had you on the podcast was yeah look at your hourly returns steve works for about an hour a day and he gets monstrous returns for it but you know the guy that sits in front of 17 screens and is able to make a profit which 80 percent of traders or something like that don't uh, but, you know, the guy that actually is able to make a profit, he's taking a lot of time to turn those profits. You're not you're not just losing money. You're, you're losing time as well. You're you're, mm -hmm. you're risking your time and your money when you spend so much time. I mean, all my time has been in backtesting studies and uh, research, you know, very little time in actual active trading. So here is something we're still in rule 21 that I really, really loved and wanted to get your opinion on. Um, losing trades happen when a good entry signal leads to your stop loss being hit. So when I read that, I w that was a huge light bulb moment for me. I mean, like, like literally that was a game changer when I read that. I was like, wait a minute. Losing trades happen when a good entry signal leads to your stop loss being hit. The losing trades don't come when you hold it for six months because you think it's going to turn around. <laughs> I mean, that was such a light bulb moment for me, Steve. I don't know who who else out there this impacted as much as it did for me. But one thing that Steve's put on Twitter a few times, and it leads back to this, is that your trade exit should either be a big win, a small win, a scratch, meaning you break even, or a small loss. This is what he's saying here. Losing trades only happen when you get a positive entry signal, but it was wrong, so it's a false positive, and you hit your stop loss. That's the only time you need a losing trade. That was so monumental to me, Steve. I mean, more than anything else that I've read, that right there really struck me, struck a chord so so strong, because I've been the guy who uh, did the opposite. But it's so plain, right? You don't have to do that. The biggest single way to improve trading is to have is to eliminate big losses. Big losses are generally the reason why people are, are, are unprofitable. They have big wins. They have uh, they have small wins, but uh, but they might have some small. They they generally don't have small losses. They generally have big wins because people hate to admit they're wrong and cut mm -hmm. a loss. But you know if you lose 
a, a trade, you know, on a on a position basis. You know, if a stock goes down two percent, you cut your loss. Stock goes down one percent, you cut your loss. But then you have a stock go in your favor, you make three percent. Stock goes in your favor, you make six percent. You know, you're running a three for one risk reward ratio, and your big your, your winners are bigger than your losers, and you're profitable. And it really comes down to that is the most powerful math. You know, you have an entry, you stop up for a smallest. I'm not worried about one or two, three percent losses because I plan on making three, six, ten percent wins. So that's really what a fishing expedition is. And a, a bad trade is when you don't follow your trading plan. You let a loser run against you. You don't let a winner keep going when there's no reason to get out. And you have to change what a bad and good trade is. It's not necessarily if you make or lose money. It's if you execute your system and trading plan uh, consistently with discipline. Those are mm-hmm. all winning trades. But if you don't have a system or plan, then no good, no trade's a good trade. Absolutely. You know, one thing that I have started doing is um in, in my platform i can turn off or turn on like the privacy mode and it uh it, it doesn't show the balances anymore i actually really like that um i don't want to know what my account value is at the end of the day i want to know am i following my plans it, is what's on the screen a good trade that i want to have on or is it a bad trade that i need to take off and if it's a bad trade i need to take off it certainly should have fallen into this criteria of it just happened and it leads to a bad uh, quick stop loss and i don't know about you and i may be crazy for thinking that but i i mean i know i have enough capital that i can put on pretty much anything i want but i don't need to see on a daily basis if my account <laughs> is up or down i can see on the screen if i am or am not making the right choices yeah it's so crucial to move your your money scoring system to a different time period maybe mm-hmm. end of the month or whenever you reevaluate or update you know I, I do the same thing i don't really care about the money i focus on the execution of my trading plan and strategy and and think more in percentages you know this is up three percent that's up five percent that's down two percent you know i try to you know remove the you know obsessive compulsive disorder to watch every penny ten dollars here 20 bucks here which is a that's something people underestimate especially when you get into some size it's a it's a learned skill to be able to manage and deal with uh, hundreds even hundreds of dollars for some people or thousands of dollars so you get into five digits i mean it's a it is a skill to be able to manage that because most normal people do not used to going, oh, I lost a thousand dollars this morning, huh? Yeah. You know, that's that's very painful. People associate that with a, a labor wage per hour or what they've mm-hmm. done with it. Very unhealthy road to go down. You have to separate the uh, money from the mentality. I don't think. Yeah. I, I was just going to expand upon that a little bit. I mean, when I first started trading, I really wrapped my identity up into is this a good trade? Is this a bad trade? If it's a good trade, I'm on top of the world. I'm eating good. I'm buying lobster. Everything's <laughs> awesome. If I got a bad trade, oh, don't talk to me. Um, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm I'm about to have to uh, sell my car or something <laughs> to pay for this. I mean, yeah. I, I've come a long, long way from where I started. And, you know, there was a lot of good luck and a lot of bad luck and a lot of good choices and bad choices. And people like Steve that create the content to be able to give people what they wish they would have known 20 years ago are, are invaluable. And, and I'm so grateful that uh, I'm able to connect with people like Steve and others out there that, that want to share that knowledge. Cause there there's, I, I know there's a Maslow's hierarchy of needs somewhere and there, there comes a point where it's like you want to share and give back. And that's where Steve's at. Steve wants you to be successful. Your success is his success. And it's not, 
you know, Steve's out to make a quick buck. No, Steve's help trying to help you make some quick bucks. That's what he's here to do. So yeah, I'm really appreciative for Steve for that and, and for creating incredible books like trading habits, 39 of the world's most powerful stock market signals or stock market rules. Yeah. So thank you so much for that, Steve. I appreciate you having me again, Chris. I really, really have enjoyed the transition into uh, writing the books and the in the social media. It's been really fun to do a lot of it. And you know what? Steve is is very, very popular on social media because people understand the value that he brings to the table. And he has a very loyal fan base. I love seeing the people who like printed out. I, I, I saw this one day on your Twitter. Uh, you you put out you know one of your things where you're like here's 10 rules to live by and not even an hour and a half later some person on the other side of the world had printed out a poster sized version of that and was hanging it up and it was like Steve I'm going to follow this every day and I was like how cool is that <laughs> who has yeah. fans like that that's amazing I think it ended up yeah I remember that I think it was uh, Julian uh, I think it's Komar who he made an, an, an image of, a meme image of, of my favorite quotes that I had that he liked my quotes and put it on a big image. And then it was actually ended up being four or five people that print them on big printers. I think Instagram, they, uh, I think I ended up putting some on Instagram. It was like five, like you said, I was shocked. Cause I thought that's really, really cool and amazing. Yeah. And then it was like four other people or something did it. So there was all these people printing up these posters. Oh, that's really incredible. The power of social media. Steve, listen, that's the way things are going to go. Young men are no longer going to have Lamborghinis and bikini models in their wall. They're going to have Steve Burns and all of his quotes because they <laughs> they understand the value of wisdom these days. That's what we've come to. Yeah, it's funny. The, the 150,000 Twitter followers are the new uh, Lamborghini. Hey, dude, are you kidding? With 150,000 Twitter followers, that's the difference between you getting a role in a Hollywood movie or not. I, I mean, really, that – like followers mean a lot of things you know all these people have chosen to say i want to see what steve's up to so that's really cool so if you already haven't followed steve you need to go and check him out uh his handle on pretty much everything i think is s joseph burns now actually since i got to the line where's joseph come in here is that uh, your that middle my, name yes that is my middle okay. name okay all right. I, I've always wondered that. So there you go. The the mystery is solved. <laughs> yeah, I tried every every combination of Steve Burns and to, from I went on Twitter and I was already uh, too late. I think it was about a decade uh, ago. I was already too late to get any variation of Steve Burns. So I had to use my middle middle name. Well, it works. There's there's no other S. Joseph Burns out there. We've got the one and only. Well, and Steve, actually, I'm only I'm only one of three. I've oh, got my, there you my, go. my father's the first and my son's the third. So I'm just. Oh, just, really? Just I didn't know that. Me. Okay. Tons of me running around. <laughs> <laughs> well, Steve, I, again, thank you so much for, for first off, having written this book and, and wanting to share your knowledge and expertise with other people. For that, I am extremely grateful and very grateful to have you on the line today and sharing some of that and getting some more of your opinions and, and, uh, you know, knowledge and wisdom out there for more people to learn from and being able to hear it from from uh, from the man himself. So thank you. Yeah, I appreciate you having me again. I always enjoy talking to you and look forward to this, Chris. You're great to uh, to talk to. I, I, I appreciate that very much. It's uh, it is my true honor to be able to share this with the with the audience out there. So, you know what? We're going to let Steve go. He's got some money to make. And, uh, you know, I appreciate you having coming on, Steve. Thank you so much. You're welcome. And thank you guys for tuning in to today's How to Trade Stocks and Options podcast. 
Hey, if you felt this was uh, useful at all, please make sure you hit the like button and subscribe and enable notifications. So you'll know every single time we have people like Steve on and we give you more tools, tips, and tricks to help you trade faster and trade smarter. And I'll see you on the next episode. Hey, thank you so much for listening to today's How to Trade Stocks and Options podcast. I know you're a listener, but are you a watcher? Make sure you head on over to YouTube, type in 10 Minutes Stock Trader, and subscribe to the 10MinuteStockTrader.com YouTube channel. Every week, I upload all the podcasts as full videos, and that way you're getting the full 10-minute trading experience. That way you can have all the tools, tips, and tricks to help you trade faster and trade smarter. Make sure you subscribe to whatever podcast app you're listening to, and leave me a five-star review if you don't mind. That would be fantastic. And whenever you're done with that, head on over to 10MinuteStockTrader.com and download the one-minute options trading quick start guide. It'll give you all the tools, tips, and tricks that I use in my own portfolio, and it never gets outdated, and it will apply to every single options trade out there, so I think it'll be pretty useful for you. And while you're there, check out the free portfolio page. That'll show you everything that I've traded over the last year in full transparency. And since you're on the website already, check out the free trading course. In this free trading course, I give you every single thing that I know and use in my own portfolio, and I definitely think it'll help you out too. And then after you're done there, head on over to tastyworks.com and sign up using the code 10minute, that's 10-M-I-N-U-T-E, and I'll send you over $150 in free 10-Minute Trader exclusive bonuses from 10MinuteStockTrader.com. And most of all, thank you so much for letting me be a part of your day. I really appreciate the fact that you and I have connected today and that you've chosen to put me inside your earbuds. That means the absolute world to me. And thank you so much for stopping by. 10MinuteStockTrader.com content is for information and educational purposes only. It is not, nor is it intended to be, trading or investment advice or recommendation that any security, futures contract, options contract, transaction, or other financial instrument or strategy is suitable for any person. Trading securities can involve high risk and the potential for total loss of any funds invested. 10MinuteStockTrader.com and Christopher Ewell, through its content, financial programming, or otherwise, does not provide investment or financial advice or make investment recommendations. Investment information provided may not be suitable for all investors and is provided without respect to the individual investors and audience's financial sophistication, financial situation, investing time horizon, or risk tolerance. Tim and StockTrader.com and Christopher Ewell are not in the business of trading securities trades, nor does it direct client commodity accounts or give commodity trading advice, tailored to any particular client situation or investment objectives. Tim and StockTrader.com and Christopher Ewell are not licensed financial advisors, registered investment advisors, or registered broker-dealers. Stocks, options, futures, futures options, and other financial instruments not included here involve risk and are not suitable for all investors. You alone are responsible for making your investment and financial trading decisions and for evaluating the merits and risks associated with the use of any financial security and broker platform. For more information, please visit 10MinuteStockTrader.com legal. And thanks for stopping by.